Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today we continue in our series on the fruit of the Spirit, and our family pastor, J.C. Thompson, is bringing a message on goodness. You can find our weekly message outline and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood Church app. Do you believe that God is worthy? Now, John Mark talked a little bit about this. Now, I'll just tell you, I've been living with that song for probably nine weeks, so let me just tell you something. I'm gonna preach a little bit about this song first, okay? So let me tell you. In Revelation chapter five, John, who's writing the book of Revelation, he sees this vision, and he sees an angel ask the question, who is worthy to open this scroll? And John looks around, and he sees no one, and so he starts weeping. And what I love about that scene is he sees no one. He sees a vision of heaven and no one is worthy to open this scroll. But then one of the elders looks at John and what I think that he said to him, and it says the words, but I just wanna give you a little bit of JC's emphasis in what he said. He said, hey, stop that, shut up, look, there's Jesus. He said, stop weeping. The Lion of Judah, David's root, the king of the world, he is worthy to open the scroll. Why do we talk about God's worthiness? Why are we starting today's service thinking through this idea that there's only one who is worthy to open up the knowledge of God, only one who is worthy to break the seals that contain the names in the Lamb's book of life, only one and his name is Jesus. I am so thankful that Brantley's team crushed that song this morning because Christ is powerful. God is powerful. But if you've been with us in this series, you're going, JC, the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. What are you talking about? And we'll get there, okay? I wanted to bring up a visual illustration this morning because Perry's kind of been dialing down. You've probably experienced this every week. He kind of dives a little bit further, focuses you in a little bit more in Galatians chapter five. And I want to read that to you, but I, I want to help you see an illustration today. So Galatians chapter five, I believe it's on the screen. You can check it out. As you can see back here, we've been kind of adding these words right here, okay? But it says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. You guys can say these if you want. You've probably got some practice, okay? Here we go. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, now, I brought this fruit up here. If you can't tell what it is from down there, this is a grapefruit, okay? This grapefruit uh, is large. Now, why, why did I bring this up here? Well, one, I'm not a huge fan of grapefruit, so I thought if I gave it away, it wouldn't hurt my feelings at all. Uh, so that's one thing. But the second thing is, in this passage of Scripture, in Galatians chapter five, it's called the fruit of the Spirit. But a lot of times we talk about fruits of the Spirit. Now, why is that important? Well, one, it's important because the Bible says fruit and not fruits, so that's important. But the reason why it does that is because these are characteristics that team up together, but ultimately the goal is to become like Christ. 
And so I brought this up here because there are lots of parts of this fruit, right? There's skin, there's the flesh, there's the smell, there's the tart taste of these things. It's giant, okay? So you cannot mistake this for like a grape uh, or uh, something like that, right? So these are all characteristics. But if you just collect grapefruit skins, let's say, you, that's just, just the part that you collect, you're missing the grapefruit. You're missing the whole point of a grapefruit. Now, there's some benefits to the skin, right? And there's great things about it. You can zest it, right? Like, it's, it's great. But check this out. It's a grapefruit. The point is not to be loving, joyful, filled with peace. The point is to become like Christ. And these are the characteristics, the observations of, am I becoming like Christ? Do I have the fruit of the Spirit. Now, is anyone a fan of grapefruits? Because I'm not gonna have this up here the whole time while I'm teaching. Anybody? Anybody wanna come grab this? Okay, thank you, thank you so much. It was gonna be hard for me to turn the Bible and hold that grapefruit, so. <laughs> but I'm so thankful that you guys have joined us for this series, and gentleness is what we'll be talking about today. And so I wanted to kinda give you a definition of gentleness. It's important for us to understand as we read these words, we kind of bring to the table our definition. And probably all of you in this room have a definition of gentleness. You've maybe experienced someone that you would describe as gentle, but we've got to do our part to understand that our definition of what this word should look like should come from the Bible. It should come from the language that the author used. And so this word that he used is a Greek word called proutis. Proutus. You can practice saying that with your spouse. I'm sure that would be fun just at lunch today, just proutus, just proutus to one another, okay? It'd be fun. But that word is translated gentleness or meekness, which is kind of a team there. Those two words, those two words team up. And that means lowly of heart. It, it, it's kind of a, a, a meekness is, and we'll get into this later, it's both reception and also delivery of information. For me, uh, what I wanted to see is what did that mean like when Paul wrote that. What did he mean by that? What did he mean by that? In ancient Greek culture, this word would have been used to illustrate two things. It would have been used to illustrate a gentle breeze, which who's experienced a gentle breeze? Anybody experienced one yesterday when it was a little warm outside? Doesn't that feel good? The power of wind, and yet gentle, refreshes you. And the other one is a tame beast. Now think about like a wild beast not like a dog, because that's what we think about as pets, but like, you know, think about something more like majestic or powerful, like maybe a lion or a wolf. Think about those things being tamed, this immense power under control. And so today, the definition that I'm giving to you for gentleness is this, and it's on your outline. Gentleness is strength under restraint for the benefit of others. Gentleness is strength under restraint for the benefit of others. Now for me, this is kind of a, a big deal because I think, sometimes we think gentleness means weakness, but you can't be gentle unless you have power. You can't be gentle unless you have strength because it means I'm not exercising that strength in its full capacity towards you. So I, I want us to make sure that we understand that. Our theme verse for today, our theme verse for this passage comes from Colossians chapter three, verse 12. And it just says this. Since God chose you to be the holy people that he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, I wanna just pause here because are there any men in the room today? 
No, no, you're just not there? Okay, I see some hands, that's good. Some of you are like, do I say something? What? You know, Perry's not here today, but come on, guys. We, get, we just heard an incredible song. You gotta, if I'm gonna preach, you gotta be listening to me. You gotta be responding, okay? So, men, are you out there? Thank you. Come on, bass, let's go. That's what I'm talking about. Now, here's the deal. I don't know that you got instruction on being gentle as a man growing up in your household. In fact, you probably heard phrases like this. You probably heard, toughen up, rub some dirt on it, suck it up, buttercup, quit your belly aching, quit your crying. Now, I don't know if you heard any, anybody hear any of those? Some of you are like, what do those words even mean? Like, you, you did not grow up in the South, maybe. And so, like, why would you rub dirt on yourself? Like, so, I want you to understand, like, men, this may be hard for you to just reframe your whole understanding of gentleness, because this is not necessarily a characteristic that you look at in the fruits of the Spirit and go, you know what, I'm gonna be gentle. I'm gonna be as gentle as I can be. In fact, this is probably one of the most overlooked characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. And what I hope today is you'll see in God and Jesus Christ and His Spirit, I hope what you'll see is not only do they not overlook it, but we are thankful, so thankful for their gentleness towards us. And so let's get started. Gentleness is found first in God. Found first in God. We're gonna go to Isaiah chapter 40 to start. I'm gonna give you t time to turn there because we're gonna be in several pieces of that chapter for just a little bit, okay? So, but I wanna make sure that you understand this. Anytime we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit while y'all are turning there, we have to go straight to God first. That's where we have to start. Because the fruit of the Spirit, Spirit and God are one. And because they are one, all of these characteristics found in the fruit of the Spirit are characteristics found in God. And so for us, we've got to make sure that we go, okay, well, how do we see this characteristic played out through the entire scope of Scripture? Because it helps shape our understanding of what it really means to be gentle or loving or joyful or filled with peace, right? And so in this in this. Uh, chapter in Isaiah chapter 40, I want to show you just a couple passages of scripture, okay? So starting in verse 10, and if you got the Bible that we have here, it's on page 580, okay? But teach yourself the books of the Bible so you can navigate them. Find a little kid to go through it with you, okay? They'll help you. I'm serious about that. They need your help, so please help them, okay? Chapter, verse 10, yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. Now we're gonna move down to verse 15. Now for all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. They are nothing more than dust on the scales. He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. Yes, he has the whole world in his hands and he could pick the whole thing up like it was a little small piece of sand. Let's go down to verse 25. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Asked the Holy One. Look up into the heavens. Who created all these stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each one by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. So what you've got here is a display of God's power, a display of God's strength. I wanna make sure that you see that because like what we said, gentleness is power, under restraint for the benefit of others. So check out verse 11. And in in kind of the packaged into all these verses about God's power, we see this. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, 
holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. On one hand, we've got God that can lift up the world like a grain of sand, who can call out the stars like an army and move them around and call each one by its name, teamed with a God who picks us up, carries us close to his chest, leads us. See, I think sometimes when we learn things like this, when we read passages of scripture, even when we hear sermons, we miss the totality, the whole view of God. And I'm trying today, I'm trying to kind of frame you in, right? Because if you hear one story, you go, oh, God is incredibly gentle towards us. But you can miss the whole like, I know God. I know his power. I know he's in control of everything. I know not an atom or molecule moves out of place without his supervision, without his allowance. You can miss that sometimes. And so today, I hope that you understand both of those pieces of God. David knew this in Psalm chapter 18, verse 35. Psalm chapter 18, verses 35, says this. You protect me with your saving shield. Again, I want you to see God's saving shield, protecting David, right? You support me with your right hand, lifting him up. And then it says this. You have stooped to make me great. Now, I love this picture because right now I've got a, a, a almost six-year-old son and an almost two-year-old foster child with us. And so what I love to see is I love to see grandparents, just especially both of my, my father-in-law and my dad, who both like build motorcycles for fun. That's what they do. Like they're like men, you know what I'm saying? Like burly men stooping down to walk hand in hand with their grandchildren. Don't miss that about God. That does not mean he's powerless. That doesn't mean he's impotent. No, that means he cares for you. And David understood that. David understood that God stoops down for David's benefit, ultimately for God's glory. He made David effective in battle, but also for David's benefit. Gentleness is also personified in Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus talks about being meek and lowly of heart. And then Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, scripture says this. It says, take my yoke upon you, Jesus said. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle of heart. And you will find rest for your souls. You will find rest. Why will you find rest? Because Jesus is humble and gentle in heart. He desires not to burden you. See, there are so many aspects of gentleness, but I I want you to just kind of see, and again, get this whole picture. And so the disciples, the disciples would have spent this personal interaction, this time with Jesus, and so they would have seen every one of these instances. They would have seen every one. They would have seen great displays of power, and they would have also seen great displays of restraint of that power. So I just want to give you one example of what that looks like. I want to take it from the same author, okay? So in Mark chapter four, I'm gonna turn there. In Mark chapter four, you've probably heard this story about Jesus before. Jesus is sleeping on a boat. He's sleeping on a boat with a bunch of fishermen and his disciples, okay? As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples in verse 35, let's cross to the other side of the lake. 
So they took Jesus in the boat and started out leaving the crowds behind, although some boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. So you got the scene? There's a giant storm, there's wind, there's water, there's waves, and the boat is taking on water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion, which I love the fact that Mark put that in there. (laughs) He wasn't just tucked in. He wasn't sleeping uncomfortably. He was comfortably sleeping. The disciples woke him up, and they were yelling at Jesus, shouting. They said, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? I wonder what it was like for them to walk up on Jesus sleeping comfortably in the midst of incredible chaos. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know about you, okay? But if there's a storm going on, going to talk to the sleeping guy is probably the last thing on my agenda. But they must have known something. That's why they went to go wake him up. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly, the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then Jesus turned to his disciples and he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And then I love this part, I love this part. You would think they would be reassured because Jesus just stopped the waves, right? He just stopped the storm. He just made everything okay, but they were not reassured. They said, Mark says, the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus terrified them. They saw power unlike anything they had ever seen. And then I want you to check this out because remember, we're looking at a total picture here. We're not just looking at one instance. So in Mark chapter 15, verses 29 and 30, and you probably know this scene as well as Jesus is being crucified. Verse 29 of chapter 15, the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha! Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, save yourself and come down from that cross. Mark, who recorded that story of Jesus rebuking the wind and the waves, also recorded the story of someone mocking Jesus and saying, come down from that cross, save yourself. If you're so powerful, save yourself. But Jesus stayed on that cross. And he stayed on that cross for you. And he stayed on that cross for me. It was not an absence of power. No, it was power under restraint for our benefit. Not only is it found first in God, but it's also fastened in us through salvation. It's fastened in us through salvation. Now, these, these fruits of the Spirit, remember, they're, they're teaming up, right? So when, we, when we're born again, when we're birthed anew, when we're given new life, as the Scriptures teach, what happens when we become born again, these characteristics become us. They are part, like we are gentle, like immediately gentle. Now, that, like in scale, it may not be like as gentle as you will be one day, right? But 
immediately there's a change. Immediately there's a difference. And these things team up together, right? So you can't be gentle without understanding who you are. And so this is why this part of this, this particular piece is so important because we have to understand where our identity comes from. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you stay in that forever. You wear it like a name tag. You wake up every day and remind yourself, I was bought with a price. My sin is not freely forgiven. It's forgiven at the cost of Jesus' life. And this gentleness is birthed in you. It's given to you through Christ as a gift to the Spirit. So this word gentleness, for me at least, it's important to understand because it means lots of things. It's lots of situations. And so I want to just give you two things to help you right now of how this changes you. When you become a follower of Christ, you're not just concerned with how you talk to someone you also become concerned with how you listen to them. And gentleness talks about both of those. In fact, these words, gentleness, gentleness means my delivery of information to someone. And meekness would mean my reception of information from someone. So JC, you're saying that it is my responsibility to receive information in a particular way? Yes, it is. Well, how do you do that? Well, you have to remember where your identity comes from. In other words, if someone comes to you and they've got some critical remarks, they've got some criticism about you, personal criticism about you, you can't immediately erupt in anger. Why? Because one day, Jesus has opened the scroll and your name will be in the book of life and you will enter into paradise with him. He will remember you. So I can accept criticism because I am okay in God's eyes. In fact, I'm good in God's eyes. In fact, if I've truly trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, he sees me as he sees Jesus, perfectly obedient, perfectly good. So why do we erupt like that when someone criticizes us? Why do we get so frustrated? Why do we get so prickly? Why is that? Because we forget That's all there is to it. We just forget. It's forgetfulness. You know, I, I hear this a lot from people, you know, we want to we go deeper. We want to go deeper, which really means like they just need more information about something. It really doesn't mean that they want to go deeper. Sometimes that just means like you need to obey more in more difficult circumstances. That's what going deeper looks like, okay? And that's difficult. That's very difficult. And so like sometimes you're like, I'm not sure you know what you're asking for to go deeper, right? So check this out. In those situations, it really is this. It's the basics. It's, and I say the basics because these are essential to us. They're essential. God made planet Earth. He made you with a specific purpose. You messed it up. I messed it up. Big time messed it up. And so because of that, we're at odds with God. Scripture says we're enemies of God. Enemies. I don't know about you, but a guy that can stand up after he was sleeping and call the winds and the waves to stop is probably not someone you want to be an enemy of. Just me, that's just my thought. I don't wanna be an enemy of that guy, okay? But scripture says that's who we are. We're an enemy of God. We are not morally neutral. You are either with God or you are against him. But because of that, because of God, because of his love, because of his joy, because of his peace, because he doesn't need us, he sent his son Jesus for us. 
And then Jesus took on the form of man to experience, to know, so that when you pray, you can pray to a God who plans and knows what it's like to be in the situation that you're in. And has the power to change you or the situation. And because of that, because Jesus took on the form of man, he lived perfectly obedient to God and then was put on a cross, an innocent man executed because of mob justice. His own people put him on a cross to die, tortured and put to death, exchanged for a criminal. But he did not remain dead. No, he was raised from the dead. And because he beat death, because he crushed death under his heel, we can earn new life. We can get new life from Christ. God can give us brand new life, powerful life. Life that is full of the fruit of the Spirit. Life that is different. Life that is unique. And part of that life is the ability to take on criticism because Jesus gave it all. And I owe him everything. And so if you have criticism for me, God, help me to gently hear what you're saying and do what I can to change. Sometimes that means helping you understand my situation and perspective and also pointing out some things to you also. Gentleness is a team of those things. So let me ask you this question. When people approach you Are they filled with tension? Are they filled with anxiety? Are they filled with fear? Or are they put at ease in your presence? Do they know a conversation with you will be fine, even if it's a difficult conversation? Or are they trembling before they enter into your presence? Are they thinking through every single word that they're going to say so they don't make you erupt in anger or frustration? And you've got to work on how you receive information. But also, some of us just kind of blow by. We just crush everyone under our words, right? You know, we kind of do this thing where we just say and then like, let the chips fall wherever they will, right? Like, we can just say whatever we want and then like, whatever happens, happens. That's not gentleness. Jesus didn't just go and roll over people. No, his words were, I mean, they were exacting. They were like a scalpel to someone. They would have been the exact words that needed to be said at that particular time or the exact question that caused them to ask themselves, where am I, what am I doing, who is this, what's going on? Do we think about our words like that? Do we approach people with gentleness? Ephesians chapter four, verse two says this. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with one another. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Are you gentle? Are you meek? Can you deliver information to someone where they can feel loved and also experience the truth of what you're saying at the same time? Can you receive information from someone so that no one has to worry about saying something difficult to you because you'll hear them? and you'll respond appropriately. You know, oftentimes we see this most in our families. You know, we see this with our brothers and sisters. We see this between parents and children. 
Are your kids scared to talk to you about something? They shouldn't be. Now some of that is maybe some of their own stuff, right? And this is why this teaching this is so hard, right? Because it could be some of their own stuff, but do you deliver an inf- information in a way that they know that they can trust you, do, that they know that they can feel loved in the middle of asking hard questions? Are you approachable? Or do people see you as closed off? Not only is gentleness found first in God, not only is it fastened in us through salvation, but it's also focused towards others. It's focused towards others. I love this because this is the part of gentleness to me that's the key, right? This is like, this is it. If you get this, you'll understand because gentleness is immense power, immense strength. And so you've got like this giant, just well of strength but you're restraining it and ultimately you're focusing it. You're focusing it. Like sometimes we see, gent- we see people with this immense strength, this immense power, this immense potential and they just blow up like a cannonball, right? They just explode. That's what we see them do. And it just sprays everywhere, right? It's, I mean, it's just everywhere. It's getting all over everybody. Their craziness is just everywhere, right? But check this out. When we're truly gentle, we focus We focus our strength, we focus our effort, and we also focus our perspective and attention onto someone. One of the greatest, most amazing things to me about God is that he sees me, and he sees you. God, who literally is in control of everything, that everything is happening and he sees you, and he sees your circumstances, and he sees what is affecting you. God has been gentleness, gentle with us. And so what's the point? Like, what's, what's the point of all this? Well, the point is for us to be gentle with others. Why? So that we can show them how God has interacted with us. It's not gentle for gentle sake. It's gentle for the sake of Christ. Philippians 4, 5 says it this way. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men, for the Lord is near. Focus. Why are we gentle? Because Christ is coming again. Because Christ is coming again. Another word that this word gentle can be translated as is reasonableness. Reasonableness. In fact, one commentator said it like this. The trait that enables us to look at things humanely, specifically the law, humanely and reasonably at the facts of the case, not insisting on the letter of the law. Now the Pharisees did the opposite of that, right? They burdened people, they focused on, you've gotta do it just like this, just like this, just like this. And I don't think they ever asked the question, is this kind or is this reasonable? Jesus asked that question and he also asked the question, is this honoring towards God? Sometimes we're so focused on the letter of the law that we miss God's perspective in all of this. We just miss it. Why did he give us the law? Why did he do that? Well, one, to teach us we can't keep it all. None is like God. 
And yet this is how God interacts with us. He loves us and he creates us in us a love for others. So we should be asking when we come to a hard situation, a difficult moment, a tense uh, conflict situation, we should be asking, what's the right thing to do in this situation? What is the right thing to do in this situation? And sometimes that's hard to figure out. I'm so thankful that God has not just kind of left us out there to hang on our own, right? Like he's given us his spirit. He's promised us that when we pray, he hears our prayers and will respond to our requests. Not always the way we want, but we'll respond. And so we can ask God, what can we do in this situation? What should we? Now again, I, I, I wanna just be careful here because we, we get in the weeds of this, right? Like, JC, does that mean I don't say anything hard to anybody? No. Did Jesus say hard things? Yes. Did people walk away from Jesus angry and frustrated sometimes? If they didn't have God's agenda, absolutely. In fact, some of his disciples sometimes, they wanted Jesus not to die. Think about that for a second. Why? Because they wanted him to exercise his power all over everybody that wasn't them. Do that to them. Make me feel good by crushing them. But gentleness asks, what is best for this person? Who determines what is best for someone? God does. God determines what's best. That's why we can look to his word and go, what can we do in this situation? Well, these seem to connect. These seem to have uh, consistency here. That's what we can do. And it's hard because we do need to stand strong against sin and yet love people. And that's not easy Situations are difficult. How do you maintain relationships, build connections, build consistency in the midst of those things? I think people wanna say that they have the answers to all these questions, but they don't. But we need to stand strong on what we know. We know we can rely on God's word. We know we can rely on God. So we can go to his word and feel confident to take a stand and yet not crush people. Well, how do you do that? I'll tell you how. When I tell my son, hey, don't do that, and he does that, I have an opportunity there to take a stand on honoring your father and your mother, which is a commandment that God has given. Now, this is my parenting. Please realize, I have an almost six-year-old, so I haven't been doing this for very long, but I'm just gonna tell you what I know, okay? If my son disobeys, whose responsibility is it to deal with that? It's mine. It's my responsibility as dad. So you know what I've got to do? I've got to go, hey, that behavior is not appropriate. And then I have to walk him through why it's not appropriate. Now, do I think he listens to half the things I say? No, not for a second. But God does. And I have told my son on multiple occasions, son, you disobeyed God because you disobeyed dad. Dad ain't gonna disobey God, so you're gonna get punished. Now, I know punish makes you feel weird, right? But let me just tell you, if you don't fall on your face and surrender to Christ, you will be punished for your sins by an all-powerful, unlimited power of God the Father. And it will be on you to not have surrendered your life to him. Now, I don't have unlimited power. I just got a little bit of power, okay? 
But so how do I do that? Well, I discipline my son. I help him understand behavior. And then I also walk alongside him and go, hey, we're not gonna do that again. Daddy loves you even though you just got punished. Daddy loves you. Now, you need to figure out what's going on and dad's not gonna accept this behavior still. This is the standard in the Thompson household. This is what we do. But does that mean I don't love my son? No, not for a second. In fact, that means I not only love my son, but I love God because I'm gonna obey him even though I don't want to discipline my son all the time. I just want him as a six-year-old to perfectly obey every word that I say. That's what I want. Does that happen? No. So we have to get in the weeds of these things. We can't avoid it. We can't avoid saying, here's the standard. We also can't avoid going, here's Christ given for you. God loves you. He gave you this standard because you're robbing yourself of life. It's sapping you dry. John McKenzie wrote an article in 1944 addressing this very thing and he pointed out lots of principles but I just wanna give you one today. This is principle number four. It must be accompanied by that true supernatural charity which efficiently desires the supreme good, the eternal happiness of all men in general, not excluding any individual who is capable of attaining it. In a word, the sinner may be lawfully hated only when he is loved only when he is loved. Do you love your neighbors or do you want to crush them under your own expectations? Do you walk alongside them? Do you know their story? Do you know what's happening in their lives? Or do you just wanna judge them from the, across the fence? We must be caring. And because Perry has taught me alliteration, I just wanna leave you with this one. I hope you remember it. Consistent care in challenging circumstances creates colossal change. Consistent care in challenging circumstances creates colossal change. We must not shrink in challenging circumstances. We must care. We must love. So today, as you reflect not only on where you're at today, and my hope is, is that you've reflected on where am I in relation to God's gentleness, but I hope that you'll also remember that God is so gentle towards you. I hope that you'll remember that this God who's all powerful has stayed his hand to be patient with you as you recognize who he is. And if you're in here today and maybe you're new, I hope that you'll explore. I hope that you'll ask questions. I hope that you'll go, is this worldview truly consistent beginning to end? I hope that you'll ask those difficult questions and I hope that you have someone who is consistent around you to help lead the way. And as we sing, I want you to reflect on this passage of scripture from 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 that just says this. And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. If you have any questions about this message or you would like to request prayer, we encourage you to visit our website at brookwoodchurch.org forward slash get help. You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. 
Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.